Welcome to the Founder to Mentor podcast. My name is Mike Fada. I'm an entrepreneur with multiple nine-figure exits and a passion for health and mentorship. Join me on a journey where I connect with world-class founder mentors to inspire your personal and professional growth. Let's jump into it. Welcome, everyone. I'm excited to have this conversation with Claire Coder, founder of AntFlow. Welcome to Founder to Mentor, Claire. Mike, great to be here. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Can you uh, start us off and give us an intro on yourself and AntFlow? Of course. So as mentioned, my name is Claire Coder, founder and CEO of AntFlow. And my company is on a mission to make the world better for people with periods. I started this company when I was 18, after attending an event, getting my period in public, going to the bathroom, and finding a coin-operated tampon and pad dispenser. Uh, and naturally, I thought, like, oh my gosh, I don't have a quarter. What am I going to do? I'm rolling my own tampon out of toilet paper, freaking out, but all the while thinking, what the heck? If toilet paper is offered for free in bathrooms, why aren't period products? Why do I have to scrounge together sometimes two dimes to get a tampon? And that was really where it all began. I ended up leaving university to start working on this. Uh, at the time was a project and has now turned into a business. And now AntFlow has created a patented tampon and pad dispensing system that's stocked in over 17,000 bathrooms across the US and Canada. And um, we stock bathrooms ranging from uh, K through 12 schools in the state of Utah, all the way to every Apple retail store in the U.S. and Canada. That's awesome. I'm sure that many can relate. Are you guys the first to, uh, to I guess, go the route of not paid product, but working to uh, to make it available for free? Yeah, I'm, I've been working on this mission back in, since 2016. Um, so we created this free vent dispensing system and really have been able to be supportive of all of the growing needs. Um, you, you know, I, I think that we're the first and I think that we're the leader. Um, there are a few other folks that are coming around and starting to recognize this market. But when when I founded Amplow, there was no total addressable market for B2B period care, right? Like back in 2016, no states had passed legislation requiring schools to offer free period products. No countries had any regulation, restrictions, requirements, et cetera. And now, just a few years later, we have led a movement where 20 states in the U.S. now require schools to offer free period products in the bathrooms. Previously, you had to wander to the nurse to get a tampon. You go to the nurse when you're sick, not when you're having a natural bodily function. Um, so this market has really opened up and really changed. And I've been grateful to work on a worthy cause um, in such a such a monumental time. Yeah, well, it, it's shining through, you know, passion project that every woman needs. So and and is, so the business model that you sell, you sell through distributors or you sell direct to the to this to the schools? How, how does that work? Yeah. So our business model is simple. A organization, school, university, sports center organization will purchase our dispensers. Uh, it's a one-time investment. And then they will continue to purchase the tampons and pads directly from AmpFlow. Very similar to toilet paper. You know, there's always the question of like, well, if it's free, who pays for it? Nothing is ever free. Well, it's just like toilet paper. Facilities team will keep purchasing toilet paper and keep purchasing outflow to offer for free in the bathrooms for the employees, students, and guests. And that's the business. And how did you uh, how did you finance the business, or, or how are you financing the business? 
Yeah. So I am from Toledo, Ohio. I didn't grow up knowing about entrepreneurship, right? Becoming a founder was not a career path that I learned about, <laughs> but I have always loved selling things. Um, even from an early age, I had a lemonade stand and I was peddling beer at the age of seven to construction workers down the road. Um, I've always loved um delighting people and surprising them uh, through a product that I was creating and, and delivering. And as this idea started to come to fruition for Amp Flow, I waitressed. I took a whole bunch of different jobs and all of the money that I made waitressing, I, I poured into the company. Um, as I mentioned, I had dropped out of college. I got an apartment in uh, Columbus. I, I moved from Toledo to Columbus, got an apartment in Columbus, Ohio, waitressed, all the money I made waitressing. And through my little Airbnb enterprise that I quasi set up, um, I just poured into the company. Um, eventually, I was able to launch a crowdfunding campaign, raise $25,000 to keep the business moving. From 2016 to 2018, it was fully bootstrapped. Eventually, I learned about venture capital. And in 2018, I went through the program Techstars in New York City, where my world really just exploded. Quite frankly, Mike, I learned about all these other people who were investing in widgets that really seemed like no worthy cause. And I was like, well, if they can raise money, I can too. And that really kind of allowed me to jump into this path of venture capital. So 2018, we raised our seed round led by Harlem Capital and Precursor Ventures. Um, and now just a few years later, we've raised over $14 million to date from um, some of the largest growth equity firms uh, across the U.S. That's amazing. No small feat to uh, to raise capital, let alone fourteen million dollars. What's it been like for you to go from, I guess, you know, owner operator as you're bootstrapped and starting out to a professionally managed, professionally backed company with with venture capital investors? It's been really hard, really hard. Amflow is my first job, the first time that I've ever had a real job outside of waitressing, of which I was fired multiple times for waitressing because I would never fold the napkins the way that I was directed to. I'm a first-time manager, a first-time founder, a first-time deployer of this kind of substantial capital. So it's really hard doing the best I can. Um, and what that looks like for me is constantly trying to surround myself with people who are smarter than me, uh, both internally and across our team and externally from our from investors and our, our cap table and advisors, et cetera. That hasn't been easy. As a founder, oftentimes when there's a problem, I just want to fix it, right? Six years in, I'm still trying to fight the urge of fixing it myself versus passing the ball and cheering someone on and empowering them to find the solutions. That's a very tough transition that I'm still trying to navigate. Yeah, it's a hard one. I, I encounter it all the time, but I went through it myself. You know, as a, as a founder, it's a it's a challenge to set up a business and start going, but all the decisions kind of go through you and you get used to that. And then and then when you start building a team and you have a, a governance structure, if it's a board or advisors, um, all of a sudden you, be, you, you know, that transition from founder to CEO, uh, many entrepreneurs struggle with that and everyone's past kind of different on it. So I think the good news is the, the, the better you do it, it's like exercise, the more you do it and the more you have board meetings and, uh, and senior management team meetings and strat planning sessions and budgeting, you, you, uh, you get better at it. So that's, I guess, maybe the, the silver lining. Yeah. And I, I definitely feel that at the same time, I think there's forever going to be an urge, right? As, as, as founders, we create something out of nothing. That's our spirit. That's our essence, creating something out of nothing. And that's like, 
for me, an innate urge. And I don't know that I ever want that to go away. And so my biggest struggle is finding that balance between now today, my, my big challenge is finding that balance between making a decision now that we have data and previously making decisions when I had no data. For six years or for four years, I generally operated all exclusively off of my gut because there was no data. There was no legislation. There was no you know, consistent reporting. There weren't robust systems. But now as an organization that has grown, thanks to our incredible team and our incredible leadership, we do have systems. We have an ERP system. We have financial reporting. But how do I make sure that I'm continuing to listen to my gut and also listen to the data? And that's something, you know, I'm, I've now kind of moved through that first stage of founder to CEO, which is empowering our team to make decisions. And this next stage is really an internal conversation with myself of how do I continue to trust and listen to my gut and also consider the data. Finding that balance is, is something that I'm navigating. So Mike, if you have any recommendations, that's my, that's my navigation currently. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. You know, listen first, which, uh, not only to your team, but, uh, data sources are, are great. And, uh, and, and, and then make a decision where before, you know, and you said it, like it, it was all gut feel and you're like, okay, this is what feels good or feels right. And and let's go for it. How big do you think ant flow? Like what, what's your, what's your vision for the, uh, for the company? My vision is that no one ever has to worry about getting their period in public because ant flow is in the bathroom. That means every gym, every local school, every government building, every correctional facility has access to freely accessible period products, just like toilet paper. Our job is not done until period products are just as ubiquitous as toilet paper and soap. That is my crazy vision and crazy mission. Turns out this category has been overlooked and underserved for years, but as we've continued to peel back the onion and create this market opportunity, it's clear that in the US alone, B2B period care is over a billion dollar market. There's over 10 million female commercial bathrooms in the United States. Over 10 million female commercial bathrooms in the United States. And on average, a bathroom will, will consume about $400 of menstrual products per year, which puts this B2B period care category in the US at over $4 billion. So it's a massive market, massive opportunity, and a massive need, uh, which allows me to keep going when stuff gets really hard. Yeah, well, that's yeah, lots of opportunity. I I love how you share it back to the uh, to the vision because um, you're going to win for sure with that uh, with that mindset. You're in the B two B business. How do you think about marketing, or what's your marketing approach to to grow the Antflow brand? And and uh, can you talk to us about that? Of course. So we're in this really fascinating position where our buyer is oftentimes not menstruating. Our buyer is the director of facilities or your favorite janitor at your local high school. That's our buyer. And if you kind of imagine what that looks like, the person probably has never menstruated in their life and will never menstruate in their life. And so we are really trying to make sure that we're educating thoughtfully to this buyer group, educating why this matters. No, people don't know exactly when their period is going to happen. Yes, it happens once a month, but not always consistently. Yes, this is a need. The education through the facilities leader and also the advocacy of the user because our users are different than our buyers. Um, so the way that we've thought about our brand is really making sure that it is approachable and accessible for everyone. Um, we know that it 
we need everyone around the table to make the decision, right? Like period care is not just a women's issue. It is an everyone issue. Um, if people don't have access to their basic necessities, girls won't be attending school. In fact, in New York City public schools, attendance increased by 2.4% amongst girls when freely accessible period products uh, were in the bathroom. So this isn't just a women's issue. This is an everyone's issue. And the way that we've de developed the brand is making sure that our conversations are inclusive and not exclusionary, not, exclu not excluding the men, making sure they're invited to the conversation, and also making sure that our advocates and our users are excited. They feel the brand. They feel the playfulness. Getting their period is not this daunting, scary thing, but also, but could be and will be with Aunt Flo an exciting time for them. All of our packaging is playful and fun and inviting. And so that's really how we've designed our brand and made sure intentionally we are including all people around the table as we as we've designed and architected this movement. It's very innovative. And I saw that, you know, you said patented dispenser, but let's talk about kind of innovation. Where are you? you know, your strategy for innovation, how, how you kind of think about it, and not only where the brand has been over the last couple of years, but also where you kind of see it going. Is there more products? Are you fine-tuning the uh, the dispensers for the bathrooms? Like, how, how do you think about innovation for, for AdFlow? I love building things for bathrooms, um, and I love building products that a venture capitalist would never think of. Uh, I have to be honest, I always joke that AdFlow would not exist if I knew about venture capital, our dispensers are not IoT enabled. We are a B2B product company, but we're not B2B SaaS. We don't have like traditional SaaS technology, but we're also B2B. We have a brand, but we're not CPG. So we do not fit a box. But I love building products that fit the box and the needs for the customers, not necessarily for venture capital, which has lended itself to sometimes challenging conversations and challenging on a fundraising road. The number one piece of feedback that we receive from venture is we don't fit the thesis. Um, but from an innovation perspective, I follow a very clear process and path. It's listening to customers, constantly, relentlessly, forever listening to customers. Um, so our dispenser is actually designed for a facilities manager, a janitor, and an end user. Our dispenser, cannot believe that this is true, Mike, but our dispenser has a window in it so you can spot check as a janitor if there's product in the tampon and pad dispenser. And that in the bathroom category is an, in an innovation. All the other giant hunks of metal for uh, coin-operated tampons and pads didn't have a window. You had no idea when you were putting your quarter in what you were going to get out. And so our dispenser has you know, a window to be able to see. There's a mechanical delay. So when you press the button, you can get a product, but not take too many. This, the top of the dispenser is slanted so people can't put the like a cup on top of it. It's slanted so it just slides off. It's not a holding place. It's a period product dispenser. So when we think about innovation, a lot of our innovation is on the design, the development, and of course, the internal mechanisms of our dispenser to only fit our period products. Of course, as we think about innovation long term, we're really thinking about how can we improve the bathroom experience through the lens of a menstruator? How can we improve the bathroom experience from the lens of a menstruator? And what that means is, is some future products uh, will likely be around disposal. How can we make sure that, you know, once you've used a period product for a janitor, they don't have to scoop tampons and pads that were used out of a metal bin with no brown paper bag? That's another opportunity that we're starting to explore. 
and I think it's it's usually important in the B2B business how you're thinking about your kind of multiple customers, the facilities manager that's maybe making the deal or the decision to to bring the brand in and then and then the janitor that's working day to day to make sure that it's well stocked and then all, obviously your end consumer and their experience. Uh, I think I think others can draw from that uh, in their own B2B experience because there is multiple points of contact instead of just just thinking about the end uh, end consumer. You mentioned Apple, I know lots and and a lot of institutions, schools. Is what was your aha moment for for a customer that you that you were like, yes, and it started to really put the uh, put the brand on the map, or, or or is there one? Is there a story to share? Oh my gosh, so many stories to share. We are so lucky to stock over to stock hundreds of customers with Amplo, ranging from Google and Netflix and Apple bathrooms, all the way to middle schools and high schools across the country. The customers that I feel we are able to provide the most impact for our schools, it really touches me when you know a nurse or a principal or a superintendent says, I never thought about this. Let me see what we're actually doing. And then they go and talk to the students and they learn that the students have just been using toilet paper or they learn that the students have just been going home, or they learn that students have been fearful around menstruation and they actually didn't even know what it was. And then they call us back and they say, wow, Claire, thank you for allowing us the opportunity to understand a little bit more. We do want to implement Amplo. This is important. We do want to make sure that our students, our girls, our young menstruators have access to these basic necessities in the bathroom. Once again, not in the nurse's office, in the bathroom when they need them. Um, so that that is truly some of the most powerful moments for me. And we're now proud to stock the largest school district in Oklahoma, um, Middell Schools. We stock almost all K through 12 schools in the state of Utah. And I also really think that it's powerful that access to period products is not a political thing, right? It's been received with bipartisan support because it is for access to education. When you offer free period products, it's also access to education. So that, those are some of the customer stories that that mean the most to me and the groups that we've really found a ton of opportunity to be able to provide value for. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for sharing. Entrepreneurship is about scrappiness. Do you uh, do you have a, a story to share on on how you're scrappy in building at Flow? Oh gosh. I mean, of course, every day, all the time. I think back to when I was first starting the business. As mentioned, I waitressed and all the money I made waitressing went into building this company. And for essentially three and a half years, I had been dreaming of this fancy dispenser, but I didn't have the luxury of capital early on. So between dreaming of dispenser and, you know, three and a half years, what, what was I going to sell? And I started with a 3D printed box. So I went to a, a local place in Columbus, Ohio and started 3D printing these tampon and pad boxes. By the way, Mike, they were like literally like six-sided boxes. I could have just gone to the container store, but I was like, I want to innovate something. Um, and I 3D printed these boxes. It was cheaper than the container store. I was like, this is great. And I started selling those boxes and tampons and pads for $250. It was your first flow pack and you could join the menstrual movement. And I think that that is a story of scrappiness because so often I hear folks starting to build their business and they're worried that they're going to go to market with something they're not proud of. I was not proud of anything that I was delivering in the market for three and a half years, but I had to ship something and I had to start getting feedback. I had to understand, did people actually want to join the menstrual movement? Was this actually a need? So I think that that's 
one thing that I continue to reminisce on and, and reflect on is making sure that we continue to ship uh, and we continue to deliver. Um, and sometimes along the way, we, we do need to be scrappy um, between the time of launch and the time of really proud of what we've delivered and put into market. Yeah, I love that. I, and I think it's, you know, it's that classic example of, of progress over perfection, especially when you're starting out. And a lot of entrepreneurs will think of the idea and they'll keep thinking about it and thinking about it and they want it to get perfect before they kind of get out there and then they don't do anything. And we all know as entrepreneurs, we know, especially, you know, ones that are creating success, it's, it's really starting and then improving from there, uh, really gets to you to where you want to go. Definitely. I totally agree. Get something out into the market, listen to the feedback and then adjust from there. Don't start with all the bells and whistles because your product will never hit the cost of goods that you need it to. What's your thoughts on personal branding as a founder? Mm, wow. What are my thoughts on personal branding as a founder? Well, I know you, I know you do public speaking and 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 so I just, you know, you know, I have my thoughts on how important it is nowadays, but uh, you know, as a founder that's rapidly growing a business would love your perspective on it. Yeah, I love talking about Antflow. I personally find a lot of joy in getting people excited about the mission, evangelizing the product, celebrating menstruation, having those conversations. Sometimes I also do feel like it's absolutely a necessary evil. Sometimes I'm like, man, what am I doing like on this podcast when I have nine other obligations as a CEO for the business? Um, and I'm, I'm constantly weighing that and obviously delighted to be here today. But I do think that it is a constant conversation that I have with myself of how do I make sure that my job is continuing to fire up customers, draw people in, recruit, retain, et cetera, but also not lose sight of the internal business dynamics um, as I continue to go about speaking and evangelizing the organization. So I'm still figuring it out what that happy medium is. I do love when I get to talk about Outflow on a public platform, uh, but also continuing to consider what does that mean for the internal business and how do we make sure that we find that balance? And then the team is set up for success internally um, as I continue to um, get people excited about the brand and the mission. Yeah. Hey, thanks for that. How do you balance that? Do you schedule it? Or are you like a scheduler to get more out of the day so that you, because uh, entrepreneurs struggle with that as well and say, I, you know, I really want to put myself out there on social media, or I want to go and do that talk. Or I want to go do that podcast, but there's no time of the day after everything else is, is done. Um, how, how do you, how do you manage it? I'm not sure that I'm doing it well, but I'll tell you how I'm doing it today. Uh, <laughs> so um, I write on inspired thoughts. I am a LinkedIn loyalist, so I do a little on Instagram, but I really, frankly, even though I'm a Gen Z, I can't figure out TikTok. I can't really figure out uh, Instagram, and I'm definitely not doing anything on Twitter, but I have really appreciated LinkedIn, and it's served the company well, given the nature of our B2B business. So as I'm approaching the world, sometimes I, I think of things, I jot it down, and I publish it on LinkedIn. I don't pre-publish. I don't do a calendar for scheduling, although our marketing team really would love that if I did. But I, I write when I'm inspired. And then from a speaking perspective, I approach opportunities that could be beneficial um, to our business. And then, of course, personally, um, that could that could be an opportunity for me to give back to a com community that was really impactful for me as I was continuing to build. So I don't know that I'm doing it particularly well, um, but that's how I'm doing it today. And then also on Google Calendar, I do um, color code all of my events. Um, so speaking in public facing events is 
bright purple. Uh, and then, you know, internal finance or um, internal team meetings are, are blue and then so on and so forth. That's how I'm doing it today. Not sure that it's great. And if anybody has any other recommendations on how to make this better, that's what I'm doing as we speak and always opportunities to improve. Yeah, thanks. Well, I think you're doing a good job. I mean, I've seen the, uh, the your engagement on LinkedIn is is high and and growing, and you know, a, a lot of entrepreneurs would want to be in your space. They just don't know how to start. But I think I think to share about you know when you're in your kind of passionate kind of thought leadership in space or inspired, um, put some of those words down and just and start publishing right and start putting it out there and and uh, and that's the way to do it. Yeah, I also think choosing one is a lot easier. Right. It, it would be very overwhelming for me right now if I had to do LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all of the and TikTok. But I've really leaned into one platform and my platform of choice was LinkedIn. And because I have just one platform to really consider and manage, it's a lot more manageable from a time perspective. Same way for me. I love LinkedIn and everything else is uh, it seems like it's a big challenge. Uh, and I think that focus, especially for younger entrepreneurs, people that are just, you know, start starting that uh, social journey, the focus is what probably going to give them the best results. Are there brands, favorite brands that you watch um, and get inspired by? Wow. Obviously, I'm a massive fan of Doe, D-E-U-X, the cookie dough company. Uh, they are on Shark Tank, woman-owned, superior and fantastic product. I eat their cookie dough all the time. Jenny's Ice Cream is a brand that I look to um, founded in Columbus, Ohio, also a woman-owned company. Um, and they make everything delightful. Um, the playfulness, inviting people to the store, all of that, I really try to recreate in a bathroom, in a bathroom world, which is almost an antithesis, right? Like an ice cream shop is fun. It is playful. And Jenny's does that wonderfully. But how can that be in the bathroom? How can we make the bathroom a delightful experience? And that's what we're trying to do today with our amp flow dispensers, fun, playful, inviting, um, you know, handwritten elements. And then as we continue to approach the rest of the sphere, how do we continue that thoughtfulness and intentionality? So those are two brands that I look to, one from a great product perspective and two from an inviting perspective um, and really trying to take those traditional consumer facing components into our B2B business, I think has really set us apart. Yeah, it's great how you how you bridge them into uh, into AntFlow. I, I think AntFlow, you know, you could you could the brand uh, because it's just B two B could be like best period products, right? And that is not such a catchy brand, or or I don't think would be as inviting and and uh, and so um, it's it's great how you're looking at uh, at some consumer brands like that uh, because you you do have a consumer facing portion uh, of your business even though it's B two B. Yeah, it's so fascinating to forever being a B2B category. When you look at other people's uh, P&Ls in, in the B2B space, there's very little spend on brand, right? Very little spend on photography, videography, um, these brand elements. And I think there's so much opportunity in the B2B space to win on brand. Obviously, you're going to have to have a great product. That's a baseline. But when there is an interesting brand, nobody else has an interesting brand in the B2B category. So if you spend just 2% more on brand, it's really quite a differentiator because nobody's doing it today. Yeah, I've always thought that. And I mean, we had a, a big part of our business was B2B on on hemp food ingredients, even though our, our brand was the bigger, bigger portion of the business. But one of the brands that always inspired me was Intel, you know, Intel inside. And they did so much work on like creating what the brand was, even though they didn't have any yeah, at that time, consumer-facing uh, products. I think it pays to create a, a good brand, whether you're consumer-facing or B2B-facing. 
Uh, a question on what makes Claire fired up or like, do you have any regular habits or routines that you think are, that you believe are integral uh, part of your entrepreneur success? Well, my boyfriend would say that walking to and from the office is integral to our relationship success. <laughs> so therefore integral to the business success as well. I'm not a meditator. I, I don't, um, you know, like sit down and put my fingers in an O and ohm, but I do walk to and from the office. It's about a mile and a half every day. And that really allows me to shift my brain. And that I think keeps me sane. So, you know, there's probably more that I could be doing, but what I'm doing today that's really working is just that transition. And that was really tough in the pandemic. I didn't have that transition. I I wandered up and down the stairs to go from my bed to the office. And what I realized is I do need a shift of time and a shift of space to be able to be successful in my relationship and also in the business. Yeah, that's a good share. I, le I learned that the hard way myself and maybe entrepreneurs do when you, when you, uh, you don't have that transition time and you take the work home, literally like get off the phone and then walk into the house to your significant other, to your family. Uh, and there's no transition time. Usually there's going to be extra chaos in life, uh, which is not, not good for personal or business. Totally. Mike, you know, even when I drive home and I'm taking the last phone call and I'm still on the phone and I'm walking in the house and it's always a flurry, just clear walk home, even in the snow, it is worth it for everyone. Yeah. And take a couple of deep breaths or, or, or something before you use that transition to like, take the hat off, take the business hat off when you, uh, when you get home, because your family doesn't need your, any of your business problems or, or even this, even some of the excitement, actually. I'd love to hear from you what mentorship means to you. For me, I never had just one mentor. I think when I was in high school, I imagined mentorship as like an older sister, one older sister that had all of my problems that she knew everything about. She was always there for me. And when time, as time went on, I realized that mentorship for me was much more of a army of resources that would have my back and help me grow based on their specific experience. So I don't have my big older sister that I had always imagined when I was younger, but I do have 40 people that I can call. Josh Braun when I'm having sales problems, Amy Wiggler when I'm having PR and press problems, right? Like I, I have my specific people that I can call and rely on, you know, Caitlin Christine from Gabby when I'm trying to navigate um, the healthcare category and how to sell um, to payers, for example. Um, those are those are people that I call. So for mentorship for me is my my army of people that I can call when I need to learn something new um, and that I can trust uh, wholeheartedly with some of the biggest business challenges. And I actually um, keep all of those people in my personal CRM, which is Streak. I don't know if I'd recommend Streak, but it's the only thing that I found that is like reasonably priced and decent to connect into Gmail personally. Um, but I, I keep them all in streak and then I have like their tags, where they live, what they do, et cetera. And so when I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm having this massive crisis around inventory financing, who do I call? And then I look into my streak and I see who in my network um, I have been close to um, that could be able to help me problem solve out of, out of the situation that I'm in. So that's how I think about mentorship, which is probably um, maybe a little bit different than what I grew up thinking mentorship was. Yeah, <clears throat> no, that's a great share. I, I think that's uh, that's new school mentorship. You know, old school mentorship used to be that like one one trusted person, family friend, and and uh, and they grew a business before you, so they knew everything about business, and and that can get you 
maybe that's that's a good place to start out for entrepreneurs. But um, I think what you just described and and it's familiar to me as well is is like specialist mentors. You know, if you, if you need someone that's good and in, in in a specific sales, marketing, operations, finance, and even maybe down into those departments, you have that one call. And um, and whether it's a real person, even and and nowadays, what what I think about is kind of mass mentorship. But where can you go get that information when you when you really need it and and uh, and you have a question that needs to be uh, to be answered? And Mike, that's actually how we met. I uh, I was looking for some feedback and thoughts on a on consumer branding um, and strategy there, and we had randomly connected on LinkedIn. And you took a first phone call with me, and I super appreciate it. You're now um you're now in my personal CRM, by the way. So uh, I'll be reaching oh. out for future. <laughs> yeah, I'm in, I'm in streak. That's good. Uh, I, hey, I'm happy to do that. I uh, you know part of my uh, uh, success for sure is is just giving back and helping out and strengthening the uh, the industry. So. Happy to support in in any way uh, that I can. Was there anything that we missed? Is there anything that uh, that you'd like to share uh, about yourself, about Entflow? Anything that's uh, that's coming up? You know, I think post this conversation, one of the asks that I always have for any folks that listen is one: if you do menstruate, the number one thing that you can do to improve the menstrual movement is to stop shoving your tampon up your sleeve when you're going to the bathroom you're like listening to this podcast and you're like, how can I help the menstrual movement? That's one thing you can do. Stop shoving your tampon up your sleeve when you go to the bathroom or your pad down your boot. It really is important for us as our to pass down to the next generation that you don't have to hide menstruation. It's natural bodily function. And to let employers know that you will be running around with a tampon in your hand as you wander to the bathroom until they offer free Amplo period products in the bathrooms. So on that note as well, if anybody is inspired um, or fired up to join the menstrual movement and help their workplace, their school, their university, their alma mater, join the menstrual movement with Ampflow. Our website's pretty accessible and has all the tools for advocacy that you might need. It's ampflow.com, A-U-N-T-F-L-O-W.com. Awesome. And we'll uh, I'll put that into the show notes. And yeah, I mean, it's really simple in the end, right? Like uh, we're not carrying toilet paper around with us to go to the bathroom. Uh, generally, we we expect the establishments that support us, that we support to uh, to have that. And uh, and the same as menstrual products with Enflow. Yes, we call it people helping people, period. <laughs> Love that. What's the best way for for people to connect with you if they if they want to? Is that is that LinkedIn or? I'm Claire Coder on LinkedIn. My face is really big and I have a coral background and I'm holding tampons in my LinkedIn profile picture. You won't be able to miss it. Great. And I'll, uh, we'll, we'll put the link in there too. So if, uh, if people want to connect, thanks so much, Claire. I appreciate the, uh, the time and, uh, and, and you sharing about yourself and, uh, and Enflow. Thank you, Mike. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to the Founder to Mentor podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to check out the links and resources in the show notes. You can help the show, please, by subscribing and leaving a positive review. As always, feel free to get in touch with me on social at Mike Fada. That's it for now. See you next time.